If I haven't been clear about our culture, I want to be really clear. The majority of our culture today is, is sick. It's ungodly. It's opposed to Christ. I just want to make sure that we're all clear about that. There are some things that are neutral. I've said that before. There are some things. I'm not demonizing everything about the culture, but by and large, it's an ungodly mess. And I went on Fox and CNN, the major polarized news stations, just to make sure that what I'm saying is true. <laughs> and just on the front page alone, these are the words that came to my mind as I read the headlines. War, hate, violence, I guess I'd call it gross sexuality, confusion, selfishness, exploitation, prejudice, racism, division. I'm just, I'm just summarizing things that are right there on the front page. And I assume that you are reading what I'm reading, watching what I'm watching. That's the culture that we're in today. And it doesn't always seem like it's getting better. Certainly that's the spin of, of the news today. But historical followers of Jesus, and we could even ad adopt into that statement, followers of Yahweh, Old Testament believers, they usually have three responses to the culture that they're in, the culture that's anti-God. And here's the first, is let's escape from the world. We call this escapism. Some cannot stand the evil culture. They can't stand being around or in a, a place and a space where people hate God, don't follow him. And so they basically pack up, retreat, run for the hills and wait for the rapture. That's escapism. The second response is integrate with the world. Some people get wrapped up into the causes and the pursuits and the material possessions of this world. And they end up becoming like moral people. Like I'm a pretty good person, but what they are is a pretty good morally worldly person. So their goodness is in their own eyes, their own estimation of what goodness is. That's to integrate with the world. And the third is reach the world. There are some people who lay hold of the mission of Jesus and they go after unbelievers and they realize that every person who yields to ungodliness, no matter where it comes from or what kind that it is, they are candidates and targets for the love, the grace, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And my question today is, which one are you? Which category are you in? When you think about what's happening with this backdrop of an ungodly culture that's increasing in wickedness and darkness, that's antithetical to the gospel, it's anti-Christ. When you think about that as the backdrop, what is your response to that? How do you speak about that? What are you praying for when you pray? Are you praying some kind of escapism? Are you integrating? Hey, it's just gonna be okay. Everything's gonna get better. Pastor Ben, it's not that big of a deal. Or are you saying, no, 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 we've gotta reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question is, what's your response to the culture that we're a part of? In the gospel of John chapter three, there's a verse there that we've all memorized if you've been a part of church for any length of time. John 3:16. This is where Jesus is talking to a Pharisee, a ruler, a leader of the Jews. His name was Nicodemus, who comes to him at night. And he teaches Nicodemus that in order to see the kingdom, you have to be born again. You cannot even see the kingdom, the rule and the reign of God. You won't see who God is or what God is doing unless you're born again. And he's like, how can you pass back through your mother's womb. And he, he's very confused. Jesus is talking about something spiritual and he's using a natural metaphor. But then he says to him in verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. 
This is what he says to, to Nicodemus. And following this conversation and this declaration that we understand is the basis of Christianity, it's the heart of God, is John chapter 4. Jesus doesn't just say this, but he actually lives it out in John 4. He has this encounter with the, what we call the woman at the well. And now he shows his disciples what he had already said in front of them, or at least been teaching them. And so I'm going to read a lot of scripture. I'm in the right place to do it. Here's what John chapter 4, verse 1 through 38 says. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour of the day. That's about noon. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God... And who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give shall never thirst but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way out here to draw. And he said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. He said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband for you have had five husbands and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain. You people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For such people, the father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. At this point, the disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men there, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and they were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him to eat, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. 
Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you entered into their labor. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. There's a lot there. I didn't want to summarize. I figured let's just read the entire passage. And there's two things I want to point out today as we think about the culture as a backdrop and the gospel as our message. The first I want to point out and talk about an encounter with a woman at a well. That's half of what's going on here. And there's a couple things we need to point out just from the passage. The first thing we read here in verse four is that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Everybody say had. He had to. This, wasn't, this was not geographically true. This was spiritually true for Jesus. They're on a 70-mile trek. They're in the Jerusalem area. It says Judea. So they're heading up to Galilee, 70 miles. You can go three different paths. Every Orthodox Jew would go around Samaria. They would not interact with Samaritans. This is not something a kosher Orthodox Jew would ever do. So you can imagine the uncomfort of the disciples going through Samaria. Perhaps this is the first time they've ever done it. Jesus is leading them straight through. He's completely comfortable. They're not. And the reason that they're not is Jewish people and Samaritans have hostility. They have all kinds of hatred. And this is a long history. There's four things that they experience that I want to point out. Number one is they have a racial issue. The Samaritans originate from the Assyrian captivity back in the 700 BC area. And so their genealogy, their lineage could not be proven. They were considered half-breeds. They're half Assyrian, most likely, and half Jewish. And so this became a problem for the Jewish people. There was a lot of racism, and there has been a lot of racism on planet Earth in our history. So it was racial. The second issue they had was spiritual. Samaritans established their own temple, their own gatherings, their own services, their own animal sacrifices on Mount Gerizim. Jews felt like this was blasphemy, this was defilement. And so clearly they believe you are blasphemers with the way that you're worshiping. In fact, they would go as far as saying, Jews would say about Samaritans, you're not worshiping Yahweh. So they had a spiritual issue. They also had a historical, and this would become a cultural issue because this was so deeply embedded into their history and now their culture, they were raising their children to hate one another. You have two bodies of people with incredible animosity, the kind that you can feel. So this is deep from old to young, and it's being taught into the children. Finally, I would summarize their animosity by just calling it plain evil. I'm not suggesting that Samaritans didn't have some kind of evil words towards Jews. They did. But we definitely know that Pharisees prayed that Samaritans would not be resurrected when the resurrection happened. They also insulted Jesus in John 8, I think it's verse 48, where to insult him, they said, you're a Samaritan. So the biggest insult that they could come up with, it's a derogatory term. It's higher than the term Gentile in the Jewish mind. So when it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria, what it's talking about is Jesus wanted to have an encounter with the Samaritan woman. Jesus wanted the Samaritans to experience revival. He wanted to reach out to those that the Jewish people could not even see. He had to go through Samaria. And I want you to do this. Picture the most, the most culturally opposing group to you. 
Now you might, I'm not talking about your in-laws, all right? So I'm talking about, <laughs> you know, just move on here. I'm talking about people that hate you, not people that you hate because of what you believe, because of what you think, because of what you stand for. People that hate you and what you stand for. Think about people in that camp and now picture Jesus walking into their camp with you at his side. That's what this is like. That's what this is like. You gotta feel that. Who are the people that hate Christians and Christianity the most? Jesus is going into that camp with me and he wants me to become comfortable as he is. The second thing I wanna point out is Jesus initiated, or he always initiates, a spiritual conversation with the person in front of him. So he sits down at the well. The disciples go into a city to get some food. This woman comes out to draw water. It was around noon. This is hot, right? So this is like not a normal thing for her to be doing. She clearly doesn't want to interact with anybody. So there's a reason why she's going here when she's going there. Jesus is sitting there at the well. She's surprised to see him, didn't want to interact with anybody. And he asks her for a drink. He says to her something that would not be culturally appropriate in our day. He says, woman, give me a drink. <laughs> Can't do that anymore. Because <laughs> you would get, excuse me? <laughs> it's, just, it's a different time. Different time. She responds to him and says, why are you even speaking to me? Jews and Samaritans have no dealings. Why are you even talking to me? She knows that a Jewish man cannot speak to her publicly unless she's family, because that's how suppressed women were. You didn't speak to women publicly unless they were family or, or close enough to consider family. You also didn't interact. Jews and Samaritans would, wouldn't interact. And then the other thing is you're going to drink off of the cup that I'm going to pull up from the well. There is no way an Orthodox Jew is going to drink from the cup of a Samaritan. You've got all kinds of cultural barriers being broken here. So she's like, why are you even talking to me? We've got more differences than I can count, but Jesus wanted to encounter her. And here's what we know from this passage. Culture, and I mean secular, ungodly culture, builds walls, but Christ always builds bridges. Ungodly culture divides us, but Christ unites us through the gospel. That is his intention. He's proved it. The third thing I want to point out here about the woman at the well experience is Jesus offered spiritual solutions for natural problems. He asked her for a drink. She's confused. So he says to her, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for water. <laughs> if you knew who was talking to you, you would turn this thing around and say, can I get what you have. She didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. They're going back and forth. He's talking about something spiritual and he's using the natural circumstance to bring out a spiritual truth. And so he says this in verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. He flips the scenario. He brings out a spiritual truth. She gets all sarcastic with him. She says, basically, this is the way I would play it. Okay, okay, fine. You've got this special water. Why don't you go ahead and give me some of this water so I'll never have to walk back out to the well again and I'll never have to get any water in the future. I mean, she's being, <laughs> I didn't do a good job. Did I? She's being really sarcastic with Jesus and responding to his spiritual truth. 
And it might be for her like this moment where, I don't know, maybe she's, she's trying to get one over on a Jewish person. Perhaps she's never even had a conversation with one. And so she's trying to say these sarcastic things. I'm just wondering if it's kind of built up and accumulated. I've always wanted to say something like this towards a Jewish person. But Jesus turns it around and he gives a parallel. And this is the parallel. Your need for natural water is the same way that you're living your life. It's worldly living. You keep coming and it never satisfies. You keep coming and it never satisfies. That's what your life is like. Your coming to this well is a picture of what your heart and your life is like, that you keep coming to the things of the world, it never satisfies and you never learn the lesson. And Jesus came to offer us something different. When he says, I give you water that satisfies, he's saying, I am the only one and the only thing that can satisfy what you're searching for. I'm the only one. A couple weeks ago, I was driving in my car listening to a podcast, and the podcast happened to be talking about the recession. And I've listened to a couple people talk about this. Hey, there's a recession that's going to happen, and I am no prophet in terms of what's going to happen on the world scale. I'm not here to tell you what I know or what I think will happen. I'm no expert on economy. I won't go down that road. But I was listening to this person who's considered an expert, and they were talking about how it's going to crash and burn. Your dollar's not going to be worth anything. House prices are going to go down. Jobs are going to be lost. AI's taking over. And I just, you know, it's pretty hopeless, actually. I thought, what is the end game here? <laughs> Jesus, help us. <laughs> you know, I don't know. It just felt like dun, dun, dun. Am I, am I in my own world? Did anybody hear that at all? Just there's a couple of you. Yes, me. I, I am wondering what's going to happen. Um, so I'm listening to him talk. And out of my mouth, without thinking about it, planning it, I asked the Lord, I prayed. I said, Lord, is there going to be a recession? Just like that. It's a funny thing to me because the first thing I thought was, why wouldn't I ask the only person that's omniscient? I've never even asked him. I'm listening to all these quote experts on what they think is going to happen in the future. And I've never even asked the one that knows the future. So you can take that truth and put it in your back pocket and be on your merry way. And if that's all you get out of today, that's good enough. But I had never asked the Lord, is there going to be a recession? So I did. I said, Lord, is there going to be a recession? Now you want to know if he spoke to me. You want to know. You're going to to record it. (laughs) See if his prophecy's on. (laughs) Put your stones down. Amen. I'm calling out names today, Doris. I want you to know. I'm already looking at Wade and Scott. I'm telling you what. James, I saw you too. All right. It was a fun day. I didn't get a yes or no. I didn't. I didn't get a yes or no. I, I did, however, have a vision. The Lord gives visions and dreams, and not while you're driving, he gives you dreams, but he gives you visions. <laughs> That's not a good day for you. But I had a vision, and it was a picture in my mind while I was driving. It, it was an immediate response. It happened right away. Just as I asked the question, I received a vision. I saw this picture, and here's what the picture was. I saw this large hillside, and there were multiple ancient wells I know what they look like. I've seen them before. They were just built with rock. And there were long lines of people standing in front of all of the wells except for one. And so I just, out of the curiosity of my heart in this vision, walked up to the well that most people were not standing at. And I looked down into the well and just really, not very deep down, I could see the water was clear. I could see the water was clean. And the people that were drinking it were healthy. 
And there wasn't a lot of people around that well, but the ones that were drinking of it, you could see the visible difference in their countenance. I look over at the other wells and I can just intu intu intuitively, yeah, I can tell that those wells are running dry. I can tell they're almost dry. And there are people and they're just trying to scrape the bottom of the well to just get the last little bit of water that's got sediment and all kinds of other junk in it. It was a weird picture and people are lined up sort of hoping that more water is gonna come from these places. And I knew there's nothing there and whatever is there is actually making you sick. And I wasn't thinking about this passage, nor was I going to preach this message, but I, of course, was drawn to this story because I know, biblically speaking, that wells have significance. And the vision that I saw was a picture of what I believe Jesus said, that the wells of the world cannot, will not satisfy, but the water that Jesus gives will satisfy. It will satisfy every person in every generation if they drink. And we know something, don't we? We know that what Jesus gives satisfies and transforms the human heart. We know that. We know that no matter what someone looks like on the outside, no matter how angry they are, no matter how hostile they are, no matter how much hatred they project, we know that the water they're drinking from is not satisfying them. I used to drink of those waters. I know. I know what it's like to be unsatisfied. Jesus says, I have something that quenches the thirst that you have. Here's the question. Is that what we want for the people that seem opposed to us? Do we want for them to drink the living water? Do we want for them to be refreshed and satisfied? Do we want them to stop drinking what's killing them and start drinking what makes them alive? Is that what we desire? Because that's what Jesus wants. Jesus looked at sinful people with a holy desire to see them restored to God. And I just wonder in the culture that we're living in, if that's the way that the Christian church is looking at the people of the world in this culture. Pastor Ben, the culture is getting so bad. It's worse than it's ever been. Pastor Ben, these evil people, and you can demonize whatever side on whatever issue, and we can label and we can talk bad about, but Jesus does, does no such thing. He does no such thing. He knows what wickedness is. He knows what evil is. He drew the line and he came and he gave his life so that people could come across that line back to him and be fully, completely restored. That's why the gospel is good news for all. It's what we believe. Jesus is proving it to his disciples here in this encounter with the woman at a well, but that's not the only thing that's happening. There's an encounter with the woman at the well, but there's also a lesson for the disciples about a harvest. The disciples come back here in verse 27, and I think he teaches them three lessons. There's probably more, but I'm going to bring up three. Number one, we must understand the mission of Jesus. The disciples make their way back. They've gotten some food. They see Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman, and the text says, nobody says anything. They don't ask him, why are you talking to her, or what do you seek? They've learned a lesson here, praise God. Sometimes you just got to shut your mouth. I don't know if that's acceptable to you to say in church, but I just did. I'm talking to me. Ben, sometimes you've got to not say something. It says they're amazed. He's speaking with this woman, but they wouldn't say anything. And so they just move on. She leaves, they move on. The disciples urge Jesus to eat. And he says, I have food that you don't know anything about. I can imagine the disciples going, here he goes again. 
He's taking a natural thing. You know what he's doing? He points out the sin in the woman because the one part about her that I missed was that when they're going back and forth and Jesus tells her, the water that I give will satisfy and she gets sarcastic with him, Jesus says this, go get your husband. Okay, you're going, you want to play this game? Go get your husband. And she goes, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right, you've had five. And the man you're with right now that you're having sex with that you're fornicating with, that's, what, that's the implication. The man that you're having sex with right now, so there's a sexual issue here. The man that you're having sex with right now, he's not your husband. And she goes, sir, I think you're a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> See, she's not getting that he's talking about you're going to these wells and they're not satisfying you. And you keep doing it. Look what you keep doing. You keep going to him. I'm going to give you something, which is what you're really longing for, right? That's, that's what happens. So he does the natural and the spiritual, and now he's doing it with the disciples. He's doing the same thing. He calls out her sin, and then he calls out their sin. Their sin is that they can't see other people the way that Jesus does. Their sin is that they don't get what he's doing often while he's doing it and they're standing right next to them. They are often unwilling to yield their heart to his heart. That's what's happening here. And so they don't understand the mission. And can we just admit today that the disciples, and often we are in this camp as well, we think drastically different from how Jesus thinks. I mean, we think drastically different. Let me prove it to you. Mark 14, 1. Mark 14, 1, it's a Tuesday before the Friday where Jesus is crucified. They're coming out of the temple and it says one of the disciples. I wonder who it was. Probably Peter. Peter's giving the story to Mark and he doesn't name himself. That's just what I think. One of the disciples says, look at this magnificent building. And it's adorned with all these stones. I mean, they're, oh, <laughs> they're just like everybody else. This is an awesome facility. Look at the amenities. Look at the bling. This is incredible. And Jesus is like, yeah, well, this is going to be destroyed one stone upon another. I mean, talk about buzzkill. <laughs> talk about they're thinking about how great the facility was, and Jesus is thinking about the end of the world. Jesus is thinking about redemption. Friday's coming, then Sunday's coming, and then after that, all of, these, all of this stuff is going to unfold, and you're going to be a part of it. Jesus is thinking completely different than they are, and we see the exact same thing here. They're thinking about Starbucks and sandwiches, and Jesus is thinking about revival and reformation. He says to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. He's looking at them and he's like, you don't get why we're here. We're not in Samaria because it was the easiest route, the quickest route. We're here because I wanted to talk to her and she's gonna go talk to them and they're gonna come out to us and we're gonna have a moment with the Samaritans where they're gonna encounter why I came. You don't get why we're here. You don't understand why we're even in Samaria. You're thinking about food and they're like, did anybody get him food? I mean, where did it come from? He's like, no, no, I've got food that you don't know anything about. But he wanted them to know about it, didn't he? It reminds me of a story. My wife and I were at a restaurant not far away from here. And we were, we don't go on uh, date nights at a restaurant all the time. It's like once a month or so. Because it's like $1,000 to go eat. You know, I don't know what happened. <laughs> Inflation is killing us. It's like, she's like, you want to go on a date night? How about a date walk? Amen. What about, we just, 
put your walking shoes on. And she's down because she's a hiker and she's, you know, anybody knows my, she's an REI student. She's amazing. But, but uh, anyways, we're, so we're, we're practical people. We're out to dinner. The woman that's helping us, that's serving us as our waitress is making a lot of mistakes, lots of mistakes. You know, just to give you an example, I'm pretty sure I ordered a Diet Coke. She gave me a Coke. That's like a total sin. <laughs> she uh, happens, yes, total sin. She, I ordered chicken parm. She gave me eggplant parmesan. I mean, the devil is busy. You understand. I mean, I'm talking, <laughs> that is not the same thing, people. I know some of you vegans are like, yes, it is. No, it is not. I want a chicken. I want a chicken. And so she made some mistakes, right? I was, ha- I was not having a good day. I was irritated, right? Um, and so I was, I, was not, um, I, was not thinking, I was not thinking about her at all. I was thinking about me. She comes back to our table, and my wife says, we, we hadn't discussed this in advance or anything. She just says, are you okay? And the woman got initially offended. Like, she thought my wife was asking, like, are you okay? My wife was not asking her that. She said, are you okay? And again, I just had a long day. I had a long week. I was just being selfish in my mind. That's, I'm just admitting, you've never done that before. I'm just trying to, I'm not justifying it. I'm telling you what it is. She says, are you okay a second time? After she could tell that my wife was being kind, she was completely disarmed. And honestly, for about 20 minutes, to the point where she recognized she had a job. She, I got a job, you know. She told us her life story. She told us, now, I'm under deep conviction at this point. No, I really was. I was feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. My wife's engaging with her. And I'm like, I am a horrible Christian, <laughs> pastor, or whatever. Lords, forgive me. And as I get my heart right with God, I start to pray for her just in my heart. And the Holy Spirit gives me a word of knowledge about her daughter. And I asked her, do you have a daughter? She's about four years old. And she's like, yeah, I do. I mean, that, that's a rate, that's like, I don't get that all the time. That's a razor sharp word of knowledge. I mean, I went out of like total selfishness to like, you've had five husbands in the, ma-, you know, whatever. <laughs> like I was dialed in, baby, the whole time. I was not dialed in. And that's just the grace of God. Isn't it the grace of God where you can just come right and he, he just like that, because he loves people so much. He just does. He loves people beyond our inadequacy. And so I give her this word of knowledge, and then we get to pray for her, tip her as big as we possibly can, and we invite her to church, share the testimony of Jesus. Bridget does, I do. We got to share the love of God with her. It was powerful. And I just wanted to say that sometimes we're thinking about food, literally, (laughs) and Jesus is thinking about his mission. He doesn't care about my Coke. He doesn't care about eggplant and chicken. He's my food, my food is to do the the will of him who said, he's looking at his disciples. Is it your food? Is that what you want? Is this what you're thinking when you live your life, when you interact with people, when people are around you that make mistakes? Is that what you're thinking about? Are you consumed with that? Because Jesus is saying, that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here right now. Is it why we're here? The second thing is, or lesson is we must see people the way that Jesus does. It's obviously comes straight out of what I just said. In verse 35, he looks at his disciples after all this and he says, do you not say there are four months and then comes the harvest? But I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are white for the harvest. 
See, you, you think naturally, you say four months and then the harvest, but I want to tell you something. A miracle is happening in your midst and you cannot perceive it. You know what Jesus is doing? He's looking at the city of Sychar and the people are coming out. He's looking at the Samaritan crowd that they're making their way out. And what he's telling them is that you can't see the people that I see. You don't know why we're here. You don't understand what I'm doing. And you certainly don't see the people the way that I do. These people that you're so opposed to, these people that you have hatred for, animosity, hostility, it goes deep into your veins. It's something you were taught as a child. You don't understand. The people that you think you're opposed to are the very ones that I'm right now reaching. I see them this way with love and compassion and grace. And he says, open your eyes. Open your eyes. Look at them. You're missing it. You're missing it. Our polarizing culture is dividing and demonizing sides. Jesus wants us to see people who need him. That's the thing, guys. When we label people and we pick sides in this world, I'm not saying you don't have convictions. I get that. We, I've been very clear. I have convictions. I have convictions about sexuality. I have convictions about right and wrong. I have convictions about sin and righteousness. I have these convictions, but the only reason that I have them is because Jesus lives in my heart through the Holy Spirit. That's the only reason. And I know that. And you know that. And sometimes we get wrapped up into this us against them mentality, and it does not serve the purposes of Jesus at all, at all. We are kingdom people. We are Jesus people. In Matthew 9, 36, it says the people were coming out to Jesus. And look what it says. Jesus, seeing the people, was moved with compassion because they were oppressed like sheep without a shepherd. Did you read that? Jesus, seeing the people, when he looked at people, he saw something different than a lot of others. He had no anger in his heart. Can you imagine Jesus in Samaria and he felt nothing that the disciples felt? He wasn't intimidated. He wasn't afraid. He wasn't concerned. He wasn't worried for his life. He wasn't overly consumed with how much different they think than him. He knew why he was there. He knew what he was bringing and he wanted them to have it. Consumed. Jesus was consumed with that. The disciples, not so much. (laughs) We're the disciples. We're the disciples, not so much. And in our opposing culture that's so divided, where are we? Where are we? Where am I? Am I on Jesus' side? Well, Pastor Ben, if you're on Jesus' side, then you have to be this politically. (laughs) Oh, I've been told that a couple times this week. Yeah. If you're on, speaking for Jesus, part of the way that our heart changes is to constantly lift up an unbelieving world. Part of the way that our heart changes is to pray for an unbelieving world. How many unbelievers do you pray for in a week? You want an application? Here it is. (laughs) Pray for people that don't know Jesus. Every person that you feel something towards, pray for them in the mighty name of Jesus. And in the same way that grace came to you and in the same way that you are changing is the same thing that he wants to do in them. And if that's not true of our life, God wants to change our heart. He wants to absolutely transform our heart, 100% all the way in. And my last lesson is this, we must engage the mission of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Samaritan woman told the people in the city, 
and they started coming out. And Jesus says to his disciples, I've sent you to reap for what you did not labor. Don't, don't you get, he's like, don't you get it, guys? Like, I'm the one that came. I'm the one that's going to die. I'm the one that's going to rise from the dead. I'm the one that's giving you the message. And that message has power. And I'm just asking you to partner with what I'm already doing. I'm not asking you to make it up. I'm not asking you to have a great vision, strategy, plan. I'm giving you everything you need. Authority, power, resources, words. If you don't even know what to say, I'll put the words in your mouth when you need them. I have sent you to reap a harvest which you did not labor for. Don't you think for a second, this is your work. This is my mission. I'm asking you to join me in it. That's the point. I'm asking you to join me in this. Jesus ministered in the power of the Holy Spirit. He gave them the power of the Holy Spirit to proclaim and to demonstrate the gospel. But I bet you they were just intimidated. And here's the thing. Sometimes we're intimidated. We're not all going to be powerful evangelists but we all can share the love of Jesus in some way. And we should not try to get out of that. We should try to get into that. The Christian has to learn how to get into that and not get out of that. I mean, honestly, if we yawn over this one today, we're forgetting that these were the words of Jesus. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go and preach the gospel to all create. These are the words of Jesus Christ. The solution to the moral dilemma of our day is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Satisfies the human heart, the soul. It refreshes us and it becomes a wellspring of life that can't help but flow out of us and touch the lives of other people. Imperfectly as we are, but certainly the power of his gospel and his word flows out of us in ways that we need him to right now. And oh, how we need God to do that right now, amen? I wanna close by telling you this story. Several years ago, I was going to a conference. We were running late. I ended up going into the prayer room. When I got into the prayer room, I felt this heavy presence of the Lord. You know what I'm talking about? Like, like you can't make it. There's no hype. Like God's in this place today. You know I mean? That's not <laughs> like you walk in somewhere and you, your body starts to tremble. Like God is in this place. And I didn't know it. I walk into the prayer room. There's a guy that's on the floor on his knees crying and he's praying. Me and my friend walk in and we both felt this really heavy presence of God. And we were like, boom. So my friend goes to sit in the chair. I barely make it halfway into the room. And I end up on my knees on the floor, just crying, just praying. It was, it was a holy moment. I haven't had lots of these in my life, but it was a clear holy moment. God was there. My friend basically slides down from his chair and he's on the ground like crying and praying. And here's, here's what happened to me. I can't explain why that happened. I can't, I can't to this day. But here's what happened. As I was on my knees, I was kind of like in this vision, I had this picture of the globe and it was spinning. I'm sort of outside of it, looking at it. And then all of a sudden the globe would stop spinning and I would see a nation on the earth. And I remember the first one that I saw was the Philippines. Any Filipinos in here? Come on. Woo! All right now. So this is just the truth. The first one I saw was the Philippines. And I saw a Filipino man and I saw his face. I could make out the detail of his face as the globe started spinning really slowly. And I saw him. And then it went to another nation and another nation and another nation. And every time the globe stopped, I would have a man or a woman emerge. I could see their face from that nation as a representation. And as this happened, I heard, in, I heard it with my ears, for God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Every time I saw another face, my heart was impacted. My heart was impacted. I mean, it was a deep, transformative experience. At some point, I got up off the ground. I went to the conference. I moved on, and I asked the Holy Spirit why this happened. Like, Lord, why did you give that to me? And here's what he said to me. This was months and months and months later. Because I didn't know why I had that experience. I mean, I was glad to have had it, but I didn't know what to do with it. I, I didn't understand. It was impacting. It was transformative, but I didn't understand. And the Holy Spirit said this, I gave you one drop of what the Father feels for this world. It's all you could handle. I gave you one drop. If I gave you more, you couldn't contain it, but I gave you one drop of that living water. God so loves the world. He let me feel it. And friends, it was overwhelming. And I want more, amen. I, I, want, I, I didn't ask for that experience, but he gave me one drop. I need that. I needed that because if Ben just lives his life, I'm gonna do what seems right to me. I'm gonna try to follow the word and grit and grind and all that. Lord, change me, transform me. But there are times he brings us into a fresh encounter he makes a truth alive in our hearts and he sends us back out and he says, I want you to care like I do. I want you to see like I do and I want you to engage like I do. And look what Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, Judea and where? Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world or Federal Way, Washington. Samaria. You'll need power to reach Samaria. You'll need power. You can't do it by yourself. You need power. And so I want to close today. Next week, I'm going to talk about how do we share Christ in a postmodern, post-Christian world. But I wanted to go for the heart of it today. And I want God to give us that heart. Would you pray with me for the heart to reach people in Jesus' name? Would you stand to your feet? Let's do that together. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus and we ask you, Lord, for your heart, that it would be our heart. We want to understand your mission. We want to be thinking about revival and reformation. We want to be thinking about the gospel and transformation. Not being an escapist, not integrating with the world, not playing games, not messing around. We want to be exactly where you want us to be. And I pray for that for all of us today. Lord, we thank you for the living water that satisfies our soul. We ask for more. You so love the world. God, give us your heart to love people in the mighty name of Jesus. Help us to do what you would do as you live your life through ours. God, I thank you for Northwest Church. You put us here for a reason. You put breath in our lungs. You gave us what we have, and we have a Jesus story and a testimony, but we need your heart if we're gonna really share anything. We need your heart if we're gonna show anything. We need your heart if we're going to pray anything. And Lord, I pray that, that what we have here does not stay here. What we say here, what we pray here, it cannot stay here. It has to go beyond this place and this property. And I'm asking for you to baptize us with the power of the Holy Spirit today. Baptize us, pour out your spirit upon our life that we would not be the same and we would care like you do. We ask for your power, we do. We admit that we're not going to do it without you. We're not going to do it well without you, but we pray by your power that we could, that we could reach more, that we could teach more, that we could engage the mission of Christ everywhere we go. Father, lead us by the Spirit and how to do that. It'll look different for all of us, but help us do it, we pray. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.
Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you want to get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School. 